Hello, everyone, and welcome to How We Work. I'm Mike Lovett, trying my best to fill in for Dr. Misha Ann Martin. This week, we have the author and founder of Happier, the author of The Awesome Human Project, and the host of the podcast of the same name. Please welcome back to the show, Natalie Cote. I'm always happy to come back. We're so happy to have you. You're here at Work Human Live. Could you give us a little rundown of what brought you here? What's the the topic? I'm sure we'll discuss it in this episode, but... Well, what brought me here is that I love Work Human Live. Okay, great start. It's true. You can't make this up. You cannot make up enthusiasm. Do you know that we humans, we cannot fake enthusiasm? The other, we sense the fakeness in each other. We can try, but we can't fake it. So my enthusiasm is real. Work Human Live is one of my favorite conferences to speak at. This is my fourth year. Wow. I'm very proud to say it's my fourth year of standing room only and okay. getting people from the hallway and getting people to bring in new chairs, extra chairs was amazing. But I'm here because I think that we're in a rough place as a world, as we all know. And I think that the best way that we can be of service is to connect and share. And that's why I'm at Work Human Live. But I came here to talk about, first of all, I came here to talk to you, Mike. Wow. I was but first... I came here to talk, my session is about thriving through change. Oh. And so I share a blueprint about how not to just get through it, not to struggle through it, but how we can actually thrive. Could you, for the listeners at home, give us like some bullet points? You don't have to tease too much because yeah, I'm sure yeah. you want them to check you out live. But <laughs> no, it's all good. what are some highlights that you would tell people? Yeah. So at the very foundation, I think, and this is really was a turning point for me and my kind of how I handle change. And it's at the cornerstone of my work is to recognize that change is really hard for a human brain to handle. People tell me, oh, I'm not good at change. That's not true. Change is really challenging for the human brain to handle. Why? Because change comes with uncertainty. And when we face uncertainty, our brain is very stressed out because our brain wants to protect us from danger. And uncertainty means there could be danger. Like, what if I lose my job? What if I have to go to the office? I've been working from home. What happens to my team? So uncertainty is very stressful. And that's why change is really hard. So that's really important to understand. So at the core of my method and how we can shift it is to recognize that change is hard. It's challenging, but we can improve our emotional fitness to struggle less through it, to actually thrive through it. And the way that I define emotional fitness, it's all about creating a more supportive relationship with ourselves, our thoughts, and our emotions. And so I think that's really important as a foundation. And then just some bullet points of what specifically, how can we make change not a struggle? Recognize that the brain will always focus on the negative. So whenever there's change and uncertainty, the brain is going to think about what could go wrong? What if when things change, I'm not happy? My job, my boss, my team. And we have to honor that and then try to balance it out by doing things like practicing gratitude. Because gratitude is not about ignoring what's hard or what could go wrong, but it reminds our brain that, hey, These things are challenging, but these things are okay. And it actually improves resilience. It gives us energy to move forward. And another really important skill is to recognize that the thoughts our brain gives us are not facts. They're stories. Our brain loves to tell stories. And usually these stories about change are negative. They're usually focused on worst case scenarios. But as I just shared with the audience, you are the editor of your story. So we can take that in and say, Well, that's an interesting story, brain, but let's also imagine, and one thing I shared is imagine what's possible. So instead of like, let me just get through this change or it's just going to be really rough, 
how could I grow through this change? How is this change an opportunity for me to practice something that I haven't practiced before? So these are some ways that we can fundamentally shift our approach to change and how we, again, not just get through it, but actually thrive and flourish. And I love calling it brain, Mm -hmm. giving it a name so as to like disconnect. I I think a lot of people are like, if I'm having these thoughts, it's me, it's me, it's me. But if you reframe it in that way, it's like your brain is a little bit of an adversary sometimes. And recognizing that is important. No, that's a great thing that you bring up. So I actually, in the talk, I illustrated the brain. So I drew a picture of a brain and here's what your brain thinks. It is really helpful and it's really important to recognize that you have a brain and it's very useful for a tremendous things, but left to its own devices, it's like a little child. That's the analogy I draw in my work. It gets distracted often. It has a lot of tamper tantrums, small things upset it, likes to make up stories. And you, so the greater you, the wisdom of you, you can be the grandparent And what's a grandparent do, right? When a child is freaking out, they don't yell at them. They don't like kick them out the room. So it's not about ignoring your brain, but it's about acknowledging like, hey, you're upset because things are uncertain and you're afraid. I understand. But let's also think about some things that could go right. So think of that. That really helps me. I write about that in my book. If your brain is a little child, you, the wiser you are, the grandparent, how would you approach it? Don't kick it out of your head. Don't. And you can't. You know, there's a lot of, I think some mistaken notion of like ignore the negative thoughts or no, your brain is part of you. And a big part of your emotional fitness and moving through change in a positive way is really acknowledging all of your thoughts and emotions. Like, yeah, you are afraid, you are nervous. Okay. Now how could we move forward in a more supportive way? It doesn't work to ignore your thoughts or your feelings. Again, the example of my daughter is in college now, but when she was a little toddler, when your kid is having a tamper tantrum, ignoring them does not work. They just get worse. What helps is get on their level. You get on the floor. You're like, okay, let's talk about what things are, how things are going. What's wrong? It's the same with your brain. You can't ignore it. And ignoring your difficult feelings only makes them stronger. But you can approach it with that kind of patience and wisdom and then redirect. All right. I like it. Yeah. This kind of leads me into the my first question, which is you've been very vocal about your own experience with burnout and recognizing thought patterns and maybe just bad behaviors or behaviors you don't want to fall into. When you were in that process, was there a time where you took a step back and recognized those patterns? Because you talk about this emotional fitness, which maybe it's always been there for you and it's just sort of slid. But when was that process starting? Those aha moments for you? Yeah, it's a great question. Someone just asked me that in the audience. It was not some kind of elegant process. I'm always really open about that. I I'd been burning out for years and I think burnout is important to talk about. Like it doesn't, eventually I stopped being able to function, but it was a daily burnout. But I lived, I was 40 at the time. I'm 47 now. I basically lived my life until that point denying that I'm a human being. What I mean by that is things like my feelings or that just wasn't relevant to me. I just, I I was like a productivity machine. I was like, Mm -hmm. how do I get more done? How do I get more accomplished? So it wasn't as much like aha moments as it was because I just stopped, like I couldn't function anymore. I couldn't go do work. I couldn't start another company to distract myself, which I had done. I had to, for the first time in my life, like feel the feelings and acknowledge the feelings. And that was horrible. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I didn't sit there like some Buddha and like, oh, let me, no, I was like, ew, I don't want to feel this. I just want to go back, but I couldn't go back. And in a way that was the gift is I could not go back to the way I had been because I just couldn't function. 
So it wasn't so much as aha moments. It was that I was in this really dark place that the only way out was by going within. And again, I kicked and screamed and I hated it. And it wasn't like peaceful meditation or anything. But very slowly, I got to know myself and I established a relationship with myself. And I talk a lot about how your relationship with yourself is the most important relationship in your life because it is at the core of the emotions you choose, the thoughts you choose, how you show up for others, how you treat others. And that was the process for me. So it was this very slow, clumsy, reluctant process of getting to know myself and acknowledging the humanity in me and then learning, again, like 10 tries, didn't work, try this, of how to actually be in a supportive relationship with myself, which is at the very core of emotional fitness. Is that still ongoing? Absolutely. A hundred percent daily. Yeah. So I want to get into that because like you're in business, you understand management and I, this requires its own sort of management. So can you walk me through if moments where you catch yourself and how you rein yourself in a little bit? What does that look like? For yeah, you? it's a great question. And that's actually the thing I want to everyone to hear is like, it's not get it done and then you're done. It's not like, okay, I did these 10 things and now I have emotional fitness. And now being human is hard. Okay. Life is full of challenges. Our brain has these natural difficult reactions. We have all these different emotions. So this is an ongoing, that's why I call emotional fitness as a skill. It's something you practice and you get better as you practice, but it's not like you can be done with it. So I practice all these things and more all the time. And just to give you, it's a great question, like very specific example. So my brain loves to find ways to tell me that I'm not good enough at something. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's all of our brain. So one of the very specific things my brain loves is it loves to tell me that my work, what I'm saying is not original enough and people all know it and nobody needs another talk or a speech from me. So my brain loves to tell me that. Now, like as you're hearing this, just think about like, what is your, what's a story your brain loves to tell you? What are you not good enough at? So when I hear that, it's horrible. It's very deflating. I start comparing myself to all these other speakers and authors and I go, oh, but she had a New York Times bestseller. I have not been a New York Times bestseller. That means my work is not good enough. That means my brain is right. So I go into the spin of deflation and self-criticism and it's a horrible place to be. The toolkit that I pull out, and again, sometimes I can do it very quickly. Sometimes it takes me a little bit of time, is I ask myself, how does this help? Like I ask myself, is this thought helpful? Because it's very powerful because is it helpful to sit around and think about how my work is not original enough? Like, what does that do? Well, it makes me want to do it less. It makes me want to crawl and be small. How does comparing myself to others help? It's not. And that's the question that I ask myself. And that's actually what I offer to everyone. When you have these thoughts that make you feel less than not good enough, it's a really important thing to ask. Is this thought helpful? Does it help me get better? Does it help me do the things I want to do? And the answer is never yes. And that's a really powerful shift because then I ask myself, what's a more helpful thought? And I literally like have this conversation with my brain. I'm like, okay, what's a more helpful thought? A more helpful thought is how can I do more to be of service to more people? Well, that's a very, as soon as I said it, I'm like, okay, great. I can do this. I can offer this. I can learn this. And so there you have my inner process and that's what I teach. It's like to recognize that you can edit your thoughts. You can choose from the thoughts like Wayne Dyer, who is one of my teachers who I've never met, but he was a really famous author and wrote about self-efficacy and things like that. He had this great analogy of think of your thoughts as like a, a sushi, you know, the sushi conveyor belts. Yeah. So think of that. 
And they're all offered to you, but you can choose which ones you actually take and make your own. And so thoughts come, your brain offers you all these thoughts, usually from a place of fear, uncertainty, and you can choose not just, so I'm extending, I'm expanding on Wayne Dyer. Sure. It's not just what you take or don't take, it's you can edit and you can say this thought that is dominating me, how is this helpful? How does it help me grow in the way that I want to? How does it help me do the work that I want to do? And if it doesn't, well, all right, let's think of a different thought. Let's think of a thought that's more fueling, more productive. And it's a really, really powerful way to shift. And part of that sort of daily practice, you just recently released the awesome human journal. How almost. does almost oh, it's sorry. released in October? No, you got, okay. I just finished it. It's coming out in October. Okay, great. Well, then you can tease this. How does what you just talked about where you've got the sushi conveyor belt and you're selecting things and you're having this conversation with your brain? How does that factor into the journal? What are the exercises or maybe even the prompts that you're trying to give people so that every day they can open up that dialogue with themselves? Yeah. Well, the first thing, and this is in the journal, I have these like daily prompts. The first thing is to check in with yourself. The first thing is we have to become aware of these thoughts and feelings. Some of them are really strong, so they sort of hit us. But when I said before that I spent most of my career not really treating myself as a human being, I wasn't aware. Like all these things went on in my head and all these feelings, I ignored it all and I was very externally focused. So one of the daily practices that I really invite everyone to do, and it's the first prompt in the journal, is every day just take a moment to check in with yourself and be like, how am I doing? How am I feeling? What are the thoughts dominating? Because awareness is really powerful. And it's like 99% of the way there. Because once you become aware, you have an opportunity to shift. If you're not aware, if you're just on this autopilot of just getting through, you don't give yourself an hour. So checking in with yourself is a really, really important practice. And then my activating prompt, another one is, given how I feel, given how things are, what is one thing I could do today to support myself? What is one thing I could do to support myself? Some days you feel great. You have a ton of energy. What's one thing I could do today to support myself? Great. I'm going to pour my energy into this tough project or this new thing. If you're feeling down, if you're stuck in an unhelpful thought loop, something you could do is something different. But again, you're in that supportive relationship with yourself. You realize that you can choose to shift your thoughts. You can choose the lens through which you see your day and Ultimately, you can choose, you can always, and this is so important, no matter how hard things are, and they're often hard, you can always choose one thing you could do to support yourself. And once you do that, you've now given your brain momentum to go in that direction. And your brain, it's like, oh yeah, and then there's another thing I could do and another thing. But those are some kind of daily check-ins and prompts that I share in my journal, but also that I do to this day. One thing I want to ask is... You, I think at this point, have amassed this like library of strategies for yourself. Mm-hmm. But when you were first working through it, how does now versus then compare? Like what was version one mm. of this exact process you're yeah. talking about? But I think some people might be a little intimidated by just how much you've amassed, but that takes years. So can you describe to me like day one versus now? How does your process compare to Yeah, itself? well, day one, I had no process. And okay. I'd say the way I began, and this is anyone can begin there, it was more about falling on my face. And then I figure out how to get up. Now I try not to fall on my face, okay. uh, metaphorically speaking. The analogy that I used just before on stage is The way that I used to live my life was kind of like I was a little boat in the ocean of life. And so when things were kind of okay, I was kind of okay. 
And then when things were not okay, there was a lot of challenge. I was a little out of control boat. I was capsized. spinning around, I capsized. Yeah. And then very slowly, I figured out how to put down an anchor, right? And so a daily gratitude practice is an anchor. A daily checking in is an anchor. Just daily learning to talk to myself in a supportive way. There were anchors. And then to now, and I actually just said this to my audience, the thing that I've actually realized that I'm not the boat in the ocean. I am the ocean. Everyone listening, you are the ocean. We all have so many gifts, such great capacity, again, not just to handle hard things, but to embrace them and be expansive through them. And again, I love the question, Mike, because this isn't overnight. It is not elegant, but it does the small things. And I've mentioned maybe five or six, maybe one of the biggest things I've learned, the small things, if you do them consistently, have a huge impact, huge And that was a huge learning for me because when I first found myself in that really dark place, I really like, and I kept a journal, which is great because I get to go back. I was like, okay, I think I just have to like run away to Nepal and forget my husband and my life and my daughter. And like, I have to run away. And the thing is all of you come with you. And so we can't run away from our inner selves. So I still have the same life. I have the same mortgage and my family and my company and tons of challenging things, but these small things that I have the arsenal that everyone can access, they make this difference. They actually make this enormous difference. I want to talk about the Awesome Human Hour, which is the live show you host. You have people from sports, entertainment, business. What have you learned from talking to others and have you taken anything that others use and put it into your own arsenal? Oh, it's my favorite thing is to learn from other people. I absolutely love it. I am one of the things I love about myself and I think it's really important that everyone learn to say the sentence. One of the things I love about myself because we're all very good at like, you know, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. So one of the things I love about myself is I'm a learner. I love to learn from other people, from books, from people I talk to. And so one of the joys of Awesome Human Hour is I get to learn But I'll tell you, so I learn things all the time, but I tell you the big thing I've learned, I've been doing it for two years. It used to be a weekly show, now it's a monthly show and it's a podcast. I have learned that we all have so much more in common than we realize. That our brain really exaggerates our differences. And what I mean by that is we're all very unique. And I really, really believe every one of us comes into this lifetime and our mission is to share our unique gifts with the world. Like that's why we're here but we have so much of this common human experience. And I've had people, as you said, I've had actors, I've had athletes, I've had writers, I've had entrepreneurs, I've had doctors. And the thing that I would like, whenever the show is over, I always sit and I kind of let it simmer. And I'm always struck by just the commonality of our human experience. And I have a lot of hope in that because I think that the more we recognize that We're all on this human journey that's really challenging, and we all have these unique gifts to contribute, but our challenges are really common. I think that gives us less of that feeling of being alone and isolated and an openness to learn from each other. So that's my big learning. But yeah, I learn from people all the time, and it's actually, I think it's one of the joys of being alive is like we all get to be here for a short amount of time. We all have something special to share. How cool is it to learn from each other? Yeah, that's amazing. And the last question I have is I want to talk about you finding art. Mm. So you got into abstract painting. And one thing that really struck me was you said you always wanted to paint, but you never let yourself because my brain said it was indulgent and not productive. Yes. And I think that that's a very common thing with a lot of people that whether it's art or other hobbies, if it's like not productive or not contributing to career growth, it can feel... A waste of time feels harsh, but something in that realm where it's like, 
I shouldn't be spending any time mm. on this. I should be doing this instead. What have you learned from being indulgent and what have those positive outcomes been? Yeah. Well, the biggest lesson I learned, Mike, is that it's the opposite of indulgent. When you do something that brings you joy and making art brings me joy, you tap into your greatest self. Joy is life fuel. We are here to experience joy. And when you practice your joy, and I do consider it a practice, so it's not joy comes down from the sky and hits me on the head. I paint, some people run or they cook or whatever it is. When you practice your joy, you fuel yourself so that you are then able to share so much more with others. When you experience joy, it ripples to everyone around you because as human beings, our emotions are contagious. So when I was really dark and down and constantly overwhelmed because I denied myself the joy because I thought I was indulgent, well, that's what I spread to people around me. And I hate saying this, but it's true. That's what I spread to my family, my team. But when I practice my joy, I have so much more joy to give. And it's even this language, right, that I want to get out of our vocabulary that we're not here to be productivity machines. We are here to live with a capital L. And a big part of that is to give, we have to fuel. You know, I often say like, you can't give what you don't have. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that my making art, I do it as joy. It's bajillion times improved my capacity to give, to give as a mom, as a wife, as a human, as a speaker, as an author, because it fuels me. Joy is fuel. But also when you do something that brings you joy, what I think you're also doing is you're, you're being really true. And when you're true to who you are, it removes a lot of friction. And that's actually the gift that you give to share. And so my making art has given a lot of gifts. It's helped me come up with a lot of more creativity in my talks. Sometimes in my talks, I share my art. Sometimes I do art with the audience. So it's given all these gifts to others. And it all begins by my practicing my joy. And so thank you everyone for coming to my TED Talk about why you should practice your joy but that's, I think, a fundamental thing we have to shift in our world. We're not here to produce. We're not machines. We're here to experience, to live, and to give and contribute. But we cannot do it unless we fuel ourselves with our joy first. Getting into painting, was that something that came after you found yourself in that dark place? And was it immediately after? Or did you kind of have to build to, again, like kind of trick your brain into thinking, it doesn't matter that you don't think this is productive. I don't care what you say, brain. So I did start painting after I'd burnt out. And the good news there, Mike, was is I couldn't work. I was hardly really functioning. So there was all this time and I couldn't go be productive. And it kind of like... I feel like a power greater than me was helping me. I really mean that like some energy because it like paused everything else to say, okay, make some art. Like you can't do anything else. And so I signed myself up for a painting course in Tuscany because I was like, okay, I'm going to run away to Italy because I can't stand my life. I can't stand myself. Let's go to Italy. And that was really hard, by the way. Like my best friend had to talk me into it because I was like, oh my God, so indulgent, spending money on myself after I failed at life. But I went, it was my 40th birthday. She's like, just do it. And it was fantastic. It was a watercolor class. I didn't read the fine print. They were semi-professional artists. And okay. me. Uh, you should always read the fine print. But I loved it. I fell that in love with it. That should be a bigger print, by I, the way. That should I agree, like, kind I of agree. be a it headline. It watercolor week. I know. Okay. I should have said that. But the good news is I just fell in love with painting. I actually prefer acrylics or oils on large scale, but watercolor is always fun. So I did it that way. I did it like in desperation of like, okay, my life is broken. But when I came back, 
I had this moment of like, okay, I could just like keep that. Like, okay, I did that thing. And then I realized that it's either I evolve to see that as a part of my expression of what I'm here to do, or I don't. And I just started doing it. And very quickly, I started to like see the impact that it had. Like very quickly, I could see that when I come out of my... And by the way, like for me, painting is not relaxing. I think that's really important to say. Like you can do something that brings you joy. It's very hard. Painting is a lot of creative tension. Sometimes I hate what I'm doing. I don't like the art. But I'd come up from my like little, in my basement, little art studio. And I would notice that my husband and my daughter, there's like more joy because I had something to give. And so that like feedback loop encouraged me to keep doing it. And some months I don't do it a lot because I'm on the road and speaking, but it's a beautiful thing to have a practice where Joseph Campbell talked about going like into your bliss station every day. And it's not you, your bliss station. He talked about as a way to disconnect from the world and do something that brings you bliss. It could be anything. And for me, I think it's one of the fundamental like ways that we connect to our life force. And I think it makes us more productive and it makes us more brilliant and it makes us better at everything we do. And so, yeah, I guess I'm, I don't even think about it, but I am part of my mission is to get us all to recognize that it is the opposite of indulgence, that it is not just our human right, it's our responsibility. Now, before we wrap up, is there any place you would like to direct our listeners to learn more about what you got going on, what they can read, what yeah. they can watch? Yeah, nataliekogan.com. It's easy. It's www.nataliekogan.com. That's my hub. That's my website. My books are there. Some of my art is there. Tons of like free videos and everything I talked about is there. My podcast is there. Come, let's connect. I love connecting with awesome humans. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. Always a pleasure. Great questions, Mike. Thank Always you. appreciate your awesome questions. Thank you. I'm leaving that last part in. Thank you yes, so much you for should. listening. Yes, you <laughs> we'll, should. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.